The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. So, hi, hi everyone. Hi. Um, my name is Mira, and I may be familiar to some of you. Um, could we get just a hair more light? Just, just those little. Um, um, the lower ones, yeah, just, just bump a slight little more. Yeah. Is it coming? Try the next one. They're, they kind of, oh, maybe it's above. Sorry, it's above. There we go. Yes, that's perfect. Yeah. Great. I have to see my notes and see your beautiful faces. So, um, Mark is, um, leading the retreat at Holy Spirit and, um, so I'm uh, um, grateful to be able to um, come tonight and support him and the others on retreat and to share uh, the Dhamma and support you in your practice as best I can. Um, for those that don't know me, um, I've been a member of the Common Ground and Twin City Vipassana community for a number of many, many years, and I am... I teach meditation in a variety of contexts in some university settings, including mindfulness-based stress reduction. And I also integrate meditation and mindfulness into my psychotherapy practice and also supervising others and mentoring in this um, way of being and working. So I'm very grateful for that. So tonight's talk is called Lessons from the Tiger's Nest on Impermanence and Equanimity. Have any of you heard of the Tiger's Nest? The Tiger's Nest is a monastery wedged over about 10,000 feet into an impossible cliff in Bhutan. And I will share a little more about that experience of... um, seeing and being at Tiger's Nest. I'd like to start with a reflection of impermanence on the Dhamma, on um, impermanence, with some quotes from the Buddha. And we're going to explore um, some teachings, and we'll see how far we go tonight. I'm of the mind to let go and uh, see what would be helpful to you. So impermanence, the Buddha said, impermanence of things is the rising and passing and the changing of things or the disappearance of things that have become or arisen. The meaning is that these things never persist in the same way, but that they are vanishing, dissolving moment to moment. Contemplation of impermanence leads to the conditionless deliverance. This contemplation of impermanence leads to the conditionless deliverance, which is awakening. For many years, and I believe that one of our teachers, Steve Armstrong, may still do this, he tuck us in at the end of a long retreat day. Um, In the evening, at the end of the day, usually around 9 o'clock at night, 
We'd have a walking meditation just before that, and then we'd do the metta chant, and then we'd sit. And then just before, um, at the end of that last sitting, at the end of a long day, he would recite this chant. And the chant, this chant is usually one that concludes a funeral, a very poignant reflection on impermanence. And then we would be inspired to continue to sit as long as we liked and, and through the evening. So I dedicate this to Steve Armstrong, who's alive and well. Praise the Buddha. So, Anicca Vata Sankara. Anicca Vata Sankara. Upada Vaya Damino Upa Kituva Niruchanti Te Sang Vupasamo Sukho. All conditioned things are impermanent. Their nature is to arise and pass away. To live in harmony with this truth brings the highest happiness. To live in harmony with this truth brings the highest happiness. Thich Nhat Hanh says, um, to find my Thich Nhat Hanh, Thich Nhat Hanh says that impermanence is actually our friend, that life would be impossible without it. Could you imagine if everything, nothing changed? Nothing would grow, Right? There wouldn't be any trees or flowers. It would be winter forever. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Now, we, we need impermanence. He says, he invites us, he said, um, imagine when you're angry with someone, imagine if you'd still be angry with them 300 years from now. You know, so when we're angry, you know, start to, Reflect on the fact that even no matter how angry or hurt or upset you are, that too is impermanent. That if we didn't have impermanence, we'd have no sons and no daughters. Our granddaughters (coughs) would not become women, and our grandsons or our children would not become men. So impermanence is not such a bummer as we sometimes think it is. So if we can begin to accept and open to it and watch this process of arising and passing away, it actually gives us entry to the deepest happiness, which is freedom. I'm going to review and go over some terms, but I'd like to give you a little more context for the talk from from my own experience So when I was um, in Bhutan um, about a month and a half or more ago in in early December, um, it was one of these lifelong dreams to go to a Buddhist country. And uh, I was preparing, you know, you make all these plans, right? You know, 10,000 emails and um, all the arrangements and everything that goes into planning a trip, including um, planning for being away for, for a length of time, and just arranging everything, including the cat care, you know, the whole nine yards, and snowshoeing. So 
Um, we got to this country, and um, we were about, uh, which is extraordinary. It's very pristine. There's many um, beautiful forests, incredible um, uh, mountains. It's up along the Himalayas. It's up above north of India and up near Nepal and near, and near Tibet. It's, you can see the Himalayas in the distance. And we were enjoying our time and going to some very amazing temples and places, including some walking in the forests. And of the fourth, um, at the end of the fourth day of the trip, in the evening, and the dinner served about seven, um, we had a lovely dinner, we're talking and joking and laughing, and some friends of ours um, went as well to another couple, and then my husband and I, and then we had a lovely guide and driver. And we um, went back to our room to just read and relax through the evening. And suddenly, my husband stumbled out of the restroom, out of the bathroom. And I was thinking, hmm, he must have missed a little step there, was kind of clumsy, and I was, I was actually getting a little frustrated. It's like, kind of watch your step. But I realized very quickly, he said he wasn't feeling well, and uh, just fortunately guided him right to the bed. So I just slept up and guided him to the bed. And he had a health crisis that night. And it involved um, having to stay present with not knowing. So this lesson of impermanence, of here we are, one moment, enjoying, laughing, having a wonderful dinner after our day, really grateful to be in this country. And then the next moment, here he is um, in the midst of a stroke. Um, fortunately, and I'll tell you right away, is that he's doing great. He's had no residual effects, and the symptoms actually dissipated over the night. Um, that night we were there. So we were very fortunate in that. But in that moment, not knowing... Um, was quite uh, stunning and shocking and startling. There's a term that uh, the Buddha uh, uses, and maybe some of you are familiar with this term. It's called Samvega, S-A-M-V-E-G-A. Samvega is a Pali term which, mean, which indicates a sense of shock, anxiety, and spiritual urgency to reach liberation and to escape the suffering of samsara. Samvega means a sense of urgency to escape the round of meaningless existence. It is coupled with another teaching called pasada, P-A-S-A-D-A, which is a clarity and serene confidence that allows one to proceed confidently toward the goal without lasping into despair. The serene confidence. So while this was going on and this process of trying to get help in a second, third world type country in the middle of the mountains um, that are the foothills of the Himalayas, um, it wasn't so easy. 
and uh, what showed up is an ambulance. It could be kind of a Three Stooges comedy if it weren't such a serious thing, because it was, um, I won't go into the whole story other than to say that uh, there was no medic, uh, the gurney had no straps, and they had tr trouble not closing the door of the vehicle that was an ambulance um, on his feet <laughs> uh, because of the other things in the truck. And that the car keys proceeded to be lost in the front seat of the car. So um, if you can imagine this scenario... Um, with our guide holding my husband to the gurney and me at the front mm -hmm. holding him or, and, and saying, we're getting you care, honey. Everything will be just fine. <laughs> just keep breathing. So my job was to stay present and to be a calm presence, as was the guide, while we were going off into the night and praying we didn't fall off this terrible roads we were on. So we got to where we needed to go, and it wasn't anything like what we would have here, as many of you know who traveled in other countries. But basically, um, it was a facility, and there was one wonderful doctor that came who lived nearby, and there was one attendant there and somebody else. And uh, we spent the night, and I was there to do the watch of the night. And so people finally left, things settled down, and they said, okay, there's nothing more, there's nothing we can do. Um, I think it is this type of a stroke that will dissipate, and I could call the doctor, have the attendant contact him if something happened in the night. So I sat in this room in a broken-down wheelchair with duct tape and um, just sat and uh, practiced with my husband. And the two of us just sat there um, and stayed present with what was, not knowing, okay, maybe this is his time. Maybe he will be not have use of his side of his body. Um, we don't know. Every time the mind went to the right or to the left, it just came right back. Just being with things as they are. This is how it is. And he was practicing as well. He slept. He, he, was, he was conscious and he was aware. And he was practicing and I was practicing and we sat together in this extraordinary, ordinary peace of just trusting things as they are. So the Dharma was very present. And I just felt like the Dharma in that country was also holding us as well. So when we experience impermanence, when we experience this, this life that is so uncertain, it can inspire our practice, our spiritual urgency. But we can go into despair when we feel that because we don't know if we're going to wake up tomorrow, right? We don't know. Um, I was just thinking about the young girl who got hit by the car on her way from the yoga class um, just here in Minneapolis 
a few days ago. You know, we just don't know. But we can have this pasada, which is this clarity and confidence, so we don't lapse into despair. There are three marks of existence, anicca, anatta, and dukkha. These are the three characteristics. Anicca is the impermanence, the ever-changing nature of reality. The dukkha is this inherent unsatisfactoriness. And the anatta is the not-separate self. That even as the reflection which came from Mark Nepo's book of Awakening, that we are not our name, we are not our body, we are not what we do, that who we are at the deepest level is unnameable, is not separate from the whole. Saro Bhikkhu um, wrote a beautiful article called Affirming the Truths of the Heart, the Buddhist teachings on Samvega and Pasada that we've been talking about. And he says that there are three clusters of feelings at once. There's that oppressiveness that I talked about, and then there's the chastening of our sense of complacency and the foolishness in having lived so blindly. And then the third aspect is an anxious sense of urgency to find a way out of the meaningless cycle. Perhaps that's why some of us are here. We want to break free of some of the, the ways that, that have kept us from really finding that deeper peace and happiness and freedom. He says that actually we need to be careful. And I mean, I teach mindfulness stress reduction. I, I actually say this stuff to other people a lot. And I thought that this perspective that Bhikkhu Bodhi, um, that um, uh, Tanisaro Bhikkhu brought, I'm going to share with you and risk that you might be upset even more. <laughs> he said... That if the Buddha's father was really up on current trends, he might find a Dharma teacher who would have counseled the prince, the Buddha who was a prince in Siddhartha before he became the Buddha, to find happiness in life's little miraculous pleasures. A cup of tea, a walk in the woods, social activism, easing another person's pain. Never mind that these forms of happiness would still be cut short by aging, illness, and death. He would be told, the present moment is all we have, so we should try to appreciate the bittersweet opportunity of relishing but not holding on to brief joys as they pass. And then he goes on to say, it is unlikely that the lion-hearted prince we know from the story, would take to any of this well-meant advice. He'd see it as propaganda for a life of quiet desperation, asking him to be a traitor in his heart. That the Buddha was really um, out of outside of the bounds of what we usually think. 
So I want you to think about this, and perhaps we'll have time to discuss it, is what is, what is missing from just going with life's pleasures in the moment? I think when you hear the word pleasures, right, even if we're not attached, we can settle. We can settle for some of the benefits of the Dharma by waking up and tasting deeply the moment. However, we, we need to go even further to really see, to have insight into the impermanent nature of how things are. It, 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 it's not enough in and of itself to simply taste the moment's pleasure, even if it's fleeting. So see what you think. You don't have to agree with this. I, I found this quite um, like um, like thought-provoking. Like this is this is uh, not um, exactly what we have how we have imported um, mindfulness into our culture because the the full path is this deep insight into how things are. It's not just a, a band-aid for old age, sickness, and death. It's actually a, a, a seeing, a, a deep clearing out of the delusion and coming into this other level of freedom. I'd like to balance things with a little humor. So, if we're feeling like our practice is a little superficial right now, like I am, um, maybe this will help. So how do we let go of um, that ego, that identification? This is a little reading by an author named Tony Hoagland on patience. Success is the worst possible thing that could happen to a man like you, she said, because the shining shoes of affluence would mean you've never had to face your failure as a human being. There was a rude remark. I could have made her made her right there as I watched it go. I could have made to her right there a rude remark in response. I watched it go like a bright blue sailboat on a long gray river of silence, watching until it disappeared around the bend. While I smiled and listened to her talk, thinking it was good to let myself be stamped by her little spears, because I wanted to see what I was made of besides fear and the desire to be liked by every person on the goddamn face of the earth. (laughs) To tell the truth, I felt a certain satisfaction in taking it, letting her believe I was just a little bird opening my mouth and swallowing the medicine she wanted to administer, a mixture of good advice combined with slow-acting poison. It is strange to say that there was something beautiful in the sight of her running wild, cut loose in an epileptic fit of telling the truth. Anyway, she was right about me, that I'm prone to certain misconceptions and that I should never get so big or fat that I can't look down and see my own naked, dirty feet, which is why I kept smiling and smiling as she talked. It was a beautiful day. I felt like crying. I knew that if I could succeed at being demolished, I could succeed at anything. 
thank you for that. So in the deepest sense, the three marks are hallmarks of all human experiences, anicca, anatta, dukkha, impermanence, right? Um, selflessness, and the inherent unsatisfactoriness. In the deepest sense, the three marks are the hallmarks of all human experience, not just some interesting teaching of Buddhism. When we directly perceive their truth, then our lives become profoundly joyous joyous and spacious. Joyous and spacious. When the Buddha gave this sermon on the Four Noble Truths, only one of the five disciples who listened to it really understood it. It was Kodana. Kodana, Ana Kodana, means profound knowing. Kodana who knows. What did he know? All that is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. Now this may not sound like any great knowledge, but what it really implies is a universal pattern. It is impermanent and not self. So don't attach, don't be deluded by what arises and ceases. Don't look for refuges that which you want to abide in and trust in anything that arises because those things will cease. If you want to suffer and waste your life, go around seeking things that arise. They will take you to the end, but not but you will not be any wiser for it. So contemplate how things are. The sensory realm is all about arising and ceasing, beginning and ending, and there can be perfect understanding in this lifetime. So our practice is not just about trans tranquilizing our mind with shamatha and concentration. It's not only it's it's we we experience the tasting deeply of the moment and we can we can enjoy that and let it go, but also we are cultivating the insight into the impermanent nature of how things are. And that samvega and that courage and that confidence to really go for the full goal of the practice of awakening. The first noble truth is suffering. And it's because we're honoring that this is this is that first noble truth when we can open to that. It is a gift that confirms our most sensitive and direct experience of things. So I just want to talk a little bit about equanimity in a few moments. But I have another story for you. Um, I got permission from my friend to share it with you. I have a friend um, doesn't live in this community, but is in the Midwest. And uh, recently uh, they had uh, something happen in their home. Um, just talk about the unpredictability. So what happened is uh, they adopted several cats, kittens, large kittens. Um, the, the, one, the daughter, who's about uh, six or so, told me that one of her, her four-month-old kittens was this big, about the size of a small turkey. 
And I, I just nodded and said, oh, okay, sure, right. And when I actually saw this cat, it was true. He, he was really quite huge. Um, but these cats had gotten into a bathtub one night where some plants were being watered slowly with a spigot. Okay, so it was December, and the cats got into the bathtub. And what happened is one of these large kittens, or some of them, just leapt up, and they, the knob on the um, spigot, uh, you know, the, the, the handles for the water, got bumped. And there was a dancing hose, shower hose, like a water snake, all night long. So um, my friend was telling me about this, and um, I happened to have a chance to visit. And I went over there, and uh, she said that, that what had happened is they live in a duplex and that the water flooded down three, two floors all the way down to the basement, taking ceiling and just, and then flowing into the next room. I mean, just, just devastation. And if you'll forgive me, my sick humor, I said, wow, you had a cat catastrophe. <laughs> you had Katrina. <laughs> and when I saw her home, I mean, I, I couldn't be- believe she was able to get up and do what needed to be done. She said her child had said um, in the morning that they woke up after this night, she said, Mommy, is it raining out? <laughs> and this is December. But I saw this devastation, and I was just like, wow, if it were me, I think I'd have trouble getting off the floor for several months. I mean, it was just unbelievable. It really looked like, um, you know, some of those homes, parts of homes that had just been completely destroyed by water, all the way down to the beams in the basement. Um, she said they spent 10 days. They're still, still, it's still in a process. Um, um, days and days just pumping water out and trying to stabilize things and it's still not it's not even near done so this is where equanimity comes in <laughs> so that was the other aspect I wanted to talk about is equanimity I experienced this on the way to Tiger's Nest so after this happened this health crisis with my husband and I experienced directly some of the compassion that was there in that little country from, from these people that tended to us in such conditions and uh, our guide and, and, and the people from the travel people were treated us like family. And so, because Bhutan is this Buddhist country, they do, they have their shadow, but they do, they very much live in values of compassion and kindness. So um, what happened was um, on the last day, we actually stayed out our time there, and then we did come home early. Um, but we stayed out our time in Bhutan. And, and uh, at the last day um, was an opportunity to hike up to Tiger's Nest. So it was probably at about seven or 8,000 feet, and Tiger's Nest is over about 10,000 feet. 
And I thought, well, there's no way, Jose, that I would be ready to do this. So I just thought, I really loved being out in nature. So two of us with our guide, the others stayed back, including my husband. No, he did not go. Um, uh, went on this walk, switchbacks, up to Tiger's Nest. And you have to go way, way, way up, 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 up. And then you have to go down, 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 down. And then you have to go up, 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 up again. And then there's a waterfall in the crevice. And then you have to go up all this, these impossible stairs to get to this monastery wedged in the cliff. And the reason it's called Tiger's Nest is that um, one a great guru who was there to, um, the myth is to, or perhaps it's true, to um, rid an area of demons would fly on the back of a tiger. And I thought, there's no way, and I need a tiger to fly me over there because there's a huge chasm. So long story short is I started on this journey, and I thought, well, I'm really not in shape. We didn't get to do some other hikes. I probably will not be able to reach it. And in fact, I don't even care. I'd be happy if I get to the first station, the first rest area. So, going, going, get to the first rest area. And it was just this equanimity. It was this sense of like, you know, I'm letting go of all expectations. I, it, it, it doesn't matter if I get to the goal, right? If I get to the goal. I may or may not awaken fully in this life, right? But I'm going to get on the path and I'm going to make the effort to simply um, take the steps, step by step. And that's what I did. I just went step by step. And I got to the first station. I went, wow. That was, I felt it, but maybe I could go a little further. And there were about three or four different spots along the way. And then, I thought this is such a metaphor when I was reflecting on it and sharing it tonight, is that I got to the third spot, and that was this top just before you go down, and then there were these deep stone stairs down. And the guide said, this is where it gets really scary, but I noticed there was a railing. And then uh, coming up the stairs were many other pilgrims, and a number of them were older than me. Yeah. And so I was like, I felt the power of Sangha. I felt the power of the other beings on the path to this impossible place that I, that I had seen in the distance for days and thought there's no way and I'd feel like ill in my belly, you know, just, just thinking of how could you possibly get up there. But it wasn't as hard as I thought. And so I went down and then I went up and the other people were coming and um, by the time I got up there, I was I was spent. I was like, okay, I, I'm only going to see two of the temple rooms up here because I cannot go on. So I, I, I got up there, and I saw a couple of the temple rooms and made an offering. And then I uh, thought, okay, how are we going to get back? <laughs> but, you know, it just works out. You know, it just works out. Just one foot at a time, just going, resting, panting. And, um, um, and and then it was it was quite miraculous to me that with the power of just being present in the moment um, and 
surrendering to what is and the power of, of Sangha and the Dharma, that we can do the impossible, I think. Do you? What do you think? Equanimity is the fourth of the noble abodes. Sharon Salzberg describes it as a space, a spacious stillness of mind, a radiant calm. The Buddha said that our hearts can wilt as a flower does when it's been out in the sun too long. And that's where the, the noble abodes can really help our hearts. And equanimity, upeka, is that perfect, unshakable balance of mind rooted in insight. When we look at the world around us, looking into our own heart, we see clearly how difficult it is to attain and maintain a balance of mind. Looking into life, we notice how it continually moves between the contrasts, rise and fall, success and failure, loss and gain, honor and blame. We feel how our heart responds to all this happiness and sorrow, delight and despair, disappointment and satisfaction, hope and fear. These waves of emotions carry us up and fling us down. No sooner do we find rest than we're in the power of a new wave again. How can we ride the waves? How shall we erect the buildings of our lives in the midst of this ever-restless ocean of existence? Those eight worldly winds, the, the anicca, anatta, dukkha, the impermanence. With equanimity, it is, if not in the midst of the ever-restless ocean of existence, if not on the island of equanimity. But the kind of equanimity required is based on vigilant presence of mind, not indifferent dullness. It has to be the result of our deliberate training. It's not a casual outcome of a passing mood. It has to be produced by exertion again and again, again and again. True equanimity should be able to meet all the challenges. And it's renewed through the insight. So go deeply and cultivate that equanimity. Trust the pasada that will support your samvega. When you feel that urgency, when you're tired of the the, the same old patterns, um, let that confidence support you and equanimity help you to ride the waves. I'd like to close with um, a couple of readings. The first is a very powerful one by a Tibetan teacher. It's from a called a, a, a teaching on the meditation on impermanence. And I want to give you a chance to talk and share. So this is, I can't pronounce his name. It's uh, Gongtal Tenpei Trome. He, he was from the 17th century. So he says, Make meditation... Oh, this human existence, I have found this one is slipping away through my fingers. It is now time to tread the path to freedom. Catch this hook, revealing transience, the thought that in this year and that month I will organize and tie up all the loose ends and then engage in real practice is the devil of causes of all downfalls. Sound familiar? 
Mundane tasks are like ripples on water. As one dissolves, another appears. Hmm? They multiply as they are pursued. Doesn't wisdom lie in ending this? Before tomorrow's Dharma practice, the dying moment of today may come. Let us not deceive ourselves anymore. If we wish to practice, the time is now. Hafez says it this way in his words, Deepening Wonder. Death is a favor to us, but our scales have lost their balance. The impermanence of the body should give us great clarity, deepening wonder in our senses and eyes. Of this mysterious existence we share, and surely just traveling through, because our marriage with the cruel beauty of time and space cannot endure very long. Death is a favor to us, but our minds have lost their balance, that equanimity balance. The miraculous existence and impermanence of form always makes the illuminated ones laugh and sing. The impermanence of form always makes the illuminated ones laugh and sing. for a few moments. So just notice what's present in your hearts, how you're feeling, um, any questions or comments, and we can um, spend a little time with that, and then we'll close with the um, loving-kindness practice. So I'd like to open it up, and you'll please speak up if you have any questions or thoughts, anything you want to share. I'll ask a question of you. So when we were exploring the contemplation, the reflection, and that, um, that, that invitation to let go of what we're identified with, that which is we take to be permanent that's actually quite impermanent, anything that come up for you? How? What did you notice? 
You're already fully awakened, I know. Or ready to go to sleep because it's Sunday night and it's really late. I, I, I'm not going to force push you at all, but just if anyone wants to comment, please, you're welcome to, and then, then we'll close. It was hard to let go of relationships. Hard to let go of relationships, yeah. That's, you know... Uh, That's where it was the most for me. Yeah. How was that to notice? Oh, uh, I guess it was. It, it was a little, you know, just it. It was uh, troubling to be there. I guess mm-hmm. um, just to kind of. Um, it's one thing to say, okay, for this moment, I'll let go of my relationships for you know a couple minutes. Yeah. But you know, yeah. in, in thinking about relationships, it, it ties into a whole lot of other things mm-hmm. um, emotionally. Yes. And so, uh, while while those relationships will end, and you know, impermanence is a fact, it uh, um, brings up a lot of other things. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's. it's Good to see where we're holding on. I, I have uh, one teacher I practiced with and studied. He had us all make a list of um, like the things that we were holding on to, um, that we were attached to. And it was very powerful. Um, it was called Journey to the Center. Matt Flickstein has this book, and there's a lot of exercises in there that really you know, um, have you see deeply how how so much is our perceptions and our um, um, lost in delusion and it's very very hard I know it was it was pretty um, difficult you started with the most easiest stuff right like popcorn and chocolate <laughs> maybe chocolates on the bottom but um, but you know and then getting letting go of near and dear and the body and the whole nine yards. I remember I got one of the hardest ones. I still remember it, and this is some years ago, is um, was letting go of the earth, my love of the Mother Earth. I love nature. I love the earth. Even to let go of the earth. Sorry, could you speak? I have over five months in the last year and finish and beyond where I think as we go through life and challenges, for me it actually reveals to me um, the things that maybe the way I am defining myself or I have. I also break that sometimes with the parts of me that I haven't that I'm not that I'm not loving. Mm-hmm. Um the things that that I reveal I resist or that scare me or whatever. Um, it's had some of phrases that kind of really challenge me. And um, and then just to see the stories that just like, whoa. Good. I didn't know that was the way mm-hmm. I was holding that story. Mm-hmm. Like, those stories are revealed. And then you can have, like, then, then have a story about the skirt. Yes. So it's been an interesting process. Um, again, I think the whole way we look at ourselves and the way we find ourselves and like 
wow, I've done all this work. How can this be happening to me? Yeah. <laughs> you know, those all that stuff just it's, it's amazing. And um, so no, that was really, really, really helpful to because I feel like I've been living in that mm-hmm. and becoming more and more aware and actually specifically listing all of the mm-hmm. all of the things I've uncovered is that mm-hmm. I wasn't even aware that I was living in Australia. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's our practice. Thanks for sharing that. So starting to wake up, recognizing those stories. And I, I hope that you're you're not leaving lost in the Samvega without the equanimity, you know, to have to, to see that it's possible through that insight, through keep looking and cultivating that equanimity to support our hearts that pasada and equanimity, so that we have the confidence and we have the sangha and we're not on the path alone and we have this capacity. And there's a freedom that comes, yes, to see the story of the story of the story of the story of me over and over again. It's like, wow. We, we start, it, 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 it opens up a different way of being, a wakefulness. Yeah, exactly. A wakefulness here and now. Yes, exactly. So, yes, that whittling. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. One last comment. Yeah, Wendy? I came in here with this like buzz from having cleaned my office and cleaning like the drawer next to my bed and my bedroom and this and I'm hearing the Lord singing in my you know, it'll never be wrong and then it just all <laughs> So you started that and I got to the point about okay, I'm more than my job or my work. Okay. I am more than what I live. And I was like, no not Great, that's great. Yeah, not my drawers. And and, I, and maybe we could give Mark Nepple some feedback and say maybe instead of saying more, I am less or I'm not. You know, it's uh, you know. But I think it's tapping into our greater being. I think. Yes. So, well, thank you, everyone. Thank you for your um, your making the effort to come on a Sunday night to um, to practice the Dharma and uh, your own good hearts. And so let's let's sit with um, loving kindness. I'll just seat it a little bit, and then we'll just sit, and then we'll close for tonight.
So take a few moments to let go all the words and the questions and just settle into your own heart. Perhaps a soft smile. Perhaps connecting with a feeling of warmth or care. Connecting with your own wish for happiness and freedom, peace, equanimity. Beginning with your own heart, being as good a friend as you can, as you're able tonight, wishing yourself well. May I be well, happy and at ease amidst life's changes and permanence. Balance and ease. And then feel free to stay with your own heart or in your own ways, letting the heart of loving kindness, unconditional loving kindness, expand and flow out to others here in the room that we're sharing the space with. You can bring to mind those relationships, those people near and dear to us that we share our lives with. Those known and unknown that we share our lives with on this earth. As far and wide as the heart wants to go in all directions this evening, to those in all the different places of war and hunger and need, animals, plants, minerals, as well as human beings. So let's sit for a few minutes until we hear the bell radiating and generating loving kindness to one another and all sentient beings everywhere. Peace, true happiness, and freedom. Just as we wish for ourselves, no separation.
Thank you, everyone. Have a, have a peaceful sleep, and may your practice um, deepen and grow. Thank you. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.